0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast. This episode presented by Life Groups Minister Del Matthews.
1: Today's reading comes from Acts chapter 27, reading verses 1 to 44. We had also decided that we should sail for Italy. Paul and some other prisoners were handed over to a centurion named Julius, who belonged to the imperial regiment. We boarded the ship from Antrium, about to set sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. Antasius a Macedonian from Thessalonia was with us. The next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius, in kindness to Paul, allowed him to go with his friends so that they might provide him for his needs. From there we put out to sea again and passed to the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. When we had sailed across the open sea off the coast of Cythia and Palena, we landed at Myra in Lycia. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing for Italy and put us on board. We were slow headway for many days and had difficulty arriving off Cynius. When the wind did not allow us to hold our course, We sailed to the Lee of Crete, opposite Salone. We moved along the coast with difficulty and came to a place called Fairhavens, near the town of Lycia. Much time had been lost, and sailing had already become dangerous, because by now it was the Day of Atonement. So Paul warned them, Men, I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous, and bring great loss to ship and cargo, and to our lives also. But the centurion instead listened to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and of the owner of the ship. Since the harbour was unsuitable to winter in, the majority decided that we should sail on, hoping to reach Phoenix and winter there. This was the harbour in Crete, facing both the southwest and the northwest. When a gentle south wind began to blow, they saw their opportunity, so they weighed anchor and sailed along the shore of Crete. Before very long, the wind of the hurricane force the Northeaster, swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. We, as we passed to the lee of the small island called Cl- Claudia, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. When they passed ropes under the ship to hold it together, because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbank of Cyprus, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice and not sailed from Crete. Then you would have been spared yourselves this danger and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage, because not one of you will be lost, only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. For the fourteenth night, we were still being driven across the Adriatic Sea, when about midnight the sailors sensed that we were approaching land. They took soundings and found that the water was 120 feet deep. A short time later, they took soundings again and found that it was 90 feet deep. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. In an attempt to escape from the sea, the sailors let the lifeboat down into the sea, pretending they were going to lower some anchors from the bow. When Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay with the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers cut the ropes that held the lifeboat and it drifted away. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. The last 14 days, he said, you have gone, been in constant suspense and gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You will need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. When he broke it and began to eat, they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. Together, there were 276 of us on board. When they had eaten as much as they wanted, he lightened the sea ship by throwing the grains into the sea. When the daylight came, they did not recognise the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided they could run the ship aground if they could. Cutting loose the anchors, they left them into the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudder. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. When the ship struck a sandbank and rang aground, The bow stuck fast and would not move, and the stern was broken by pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get on planks or on other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: We all love certainty and we take it for granted when we wake up each morning that we know roughly what will happen during the day. We believe there are laws in the universe that can be relied on that hold everything together and give us a sense of certainty that makes life easier. For a lot of our day, we can operate on automatic pilot without expending a huge amount of energy in making decisions. And sometimes we have advanced warning that our day might present challenges. You know, that doctor's appointment to get the results of tests or the exam coming up or or maybe um, those difficult work colleagues will be in the office today. The bill's due. But most mornings, we're not aware of the storms ahead. You know, the car accident, the washing machine breaking down and flooding the laundry, or a positive COVID test when you can't remember being near someone who was infected, or a relationship problem flaring up. But most of the storms we encounter in our day-to-day lives are category one or maybe two. They're hard at the time, but we generally know what to do and we can get through them okay. But we dread the category five storms, the ones that change our lives forever, like an accident that rends us renders us disabled. Or can you imagine a Black Saturday type fire sweeping through Diamond Creek? Or a terrorist attack or mass shooting? Actually any kind of violence. We're unnerved by the events that shatter our sense of certainty. The events that we think just couldn't happen to us or the, the types so awful that we couldn't imagine how we would cope. Those could have been me events really rattle us like the Lind Cafe hostage. And one day in 2014, a number of customers were enjoying a hot coffee or a hot chocolate in the cafe, Lind Cafe in Martin Plaza in Sydney. A lone gunman held them all hostage for 16 hours. Two people lost their lives and three were injured. Now how much time do you spend in cafes? I was only two blocks away at the time. That was a could-have-been-me moment for me. Or perhaps the Burke Street Mall event, you know, when that fellow drove erratically down the mall and trying to kill as many people as possible. How often have you shopped in, the, in Bourke Street Mall? Or maybe you were there a day or two earlier. Lee Sales, a journalist on the ABC, has written a book called Any Ordinary Day. And many storms in our lives fall on days that start looking like any other ordinary day. In her research, she found that when it comes to the storms in our lives, particularly the bigger ones, we all want two things. Firstly, we want to know why. What was the purpose? Why has God allowed this? Couldn't he prevent it? We think, I'm a Christian. Surely that should count for something. What is the purpose of this storm? And secondly, we want something good, something positive to come out of our tragedy. And after my dad suffered a major stroke, I wanted to give to the, uh, donate to the Stroke Foundation, not any other worthy cause. In fact, sales says that two thirds of all charitable donations are made by people who have family or friends caused by that particular tragedy. And it's at those times that laws are changed to prevent tragedies happening again. And we all applaud that because we want to see good come from every tragedy. Now, I'd like to add a third question that Sales didn't ask, but one that we Christians often wrestle with. Where is God in all of this? Has he deserted me? Why isn't he answering my prayers? Now a shipwreck is up there with one of the more serious tragedies in life. And most of us have not experienced one, but we've probably visited the Victoria's shipwreck coast. And it's hard to imagine what it might have been like on one of those ships. I especially think of the women in their long dresses and lots of petticoats. They probably couldn't swim, what a nightmare. Well, our passage today details a major hurricane strength storm, probably, definitely a category five storm and it caused a shipwreck. Let's take a closer look at what we can learn that might help us even in our minor category one storms. Now the three groups of people in this story caught in this storm, at least three that we read about. There was Paul and his two companions. Now Paul was a Jew, but he was also a Roman citizen. He was a prisoner being transferred to Rome. He wasn't the only prisoner, but we don't hear much about the others. And Paul's friends were not prisoners. One of them, Luke, wrote this account of the events for us. Luke also was also a Jew, and like most Jews, he was a landlubber. He probably had to pay his own way for this experience. And then there were the Roman soldiers. They were charged with transferring this group of prisoners to Rome. And they were led by a centurion named Julius, a reasonable man by all accounts. I wonder how these soldiers felt about this assignment. Julius and his men had, would have known the Jewish God, um, having lived in and been stationed in Jerusalem, but they were Romans. Caesar was their God. But they were most likely looking forward to spending some time in Rome. You know, Rome was the centre of the Roman Empire, the place of good living, and good entertainment, I think Colosseum, But they had to get through this assignment first. And the third group of people that we read about were the sailors, led by their captain. Now, this was no cruise ship or, and there were no ferries back in, that, back in that day, no passenger ships at all. All ships were cargo ships that also took some passengers as, as side earners. A ship's captain could make a lot of money from taking grain from Egypt to Rome, like this ship was doing. Rome relied on grain being imported for its citizens, and not just to keep up the good life, but to survive. And winter could be particularly hard when most ships didn't sail due to the weather conditions. Any ship's captain that was prepared to take the risk and succeeded in getting grain to Rome in winter would be rewarded with extra bounty. Now, these men were Egyptians from Alexandria. They didn't know the Jewish God. Let's think about the first question that we all want answered in a storm. Why? Why did God allow this storm and this shipwreck? Well, sometimes the storms in our life are down to the very natural order of things. See, the seas around the Adriatic would become very rough from about mid-September and by mid-November until mid-March, all shipping usually stopped. It was just too dangerous. We're told this incident took place around the Day of Atonement and that was the 5th of October. So the situation was already getting pretty risky. Why was there a storm? Well, there are always storms at this time of year. That's the way God created the geography and the wind patterns of, this, of that particular area. He could have calmed the sea. We know he can. Jesus calmed a storm. Uh, but most of the time, he allows the, mo- the natural order to flow. Sometimes the storms in our lives are the result of poor choices, either ours or someone else's, and we, tend, we end up being the victims. Even though the Jews were landlubbers and generally avoided the sea, Paul was different. This trip came at the end of his life and he'd already had 11 sea voyages. He knew the dangers of winter travel and he'd gotten pretty good at reading the weather signs around him. Paul didn't need divine revelation to know that continuing the journey was highly risky. He was a seasoned traveller and warned the centurion of likely disaster. But the ship's captain and his crew wanted to keep going. Fair havens, the port where they were, was not a good one for seeing the winter out. They needed more a more sheltered harbour. And the captain was probably thinking about his livelihood. He didn't want to lose his cargo. That would be devastating financially. And if he lost his ship, well, that'd be bankruptcy. His professional judgment may have been clouded a bit. But here's where I have a bit of sympathy for Julius the centurion. Who would you listen to? A prisoner who could easily be motivated to delay his trial in Rome? Or do you you listen to the professional, you know, the ship's captain, who knew his business? He probably knew the seas far better than Paul. I'd be going for the expert opinion any day. Well, the majority agreed with the captain and so the ship ended up getting in the way of the storm. Sometimes getting caught in a storm in life is the result of poor choices, maybe even somebody's clouded choices. Well, God could stop us when we make poor choices. We'd all be very happy if he stopped the Putins of this world. Yes, stop everybody else likely to do damage and hurt me. But do we really want God to stop, block our own decisions? Now, if we were looking back in hindsight and knew we'd been saved from a major accident or a problem, we'd be very pleased. But people, um, but would we be pleased if, if at the time, in the middle of making that decision? I think we'd be very upset with God for blocking us. And the sailors certainly certainly thought that they'd made the right decision when they started out because the sailing started out being good. Some storms in life don't have an easy explanation. Like the major stroke that my dad suffered. When he was in hospital, my sister read out all the risk um, factors for stroke that had been put out by the Stroke Foundation. And we all said, Dad, you shouldn't be here. He had none of the risks. A little prayer I came across years ago as I was walking through a prayer garden in Phoenix, Arizona, helped me at that time. It was a desert garden, pretty stark, and that prayer has stuck with me for life and helped me when Dad had his stroke. That little prayer simply said, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. Sometimes there is no answer to the why question and we just have to live with that. My dad did. For 14 years he lived with disability and I never heard him complain or ask why. But he did put his trust in God. So the real problem with the why question is that we don't expect things to go wrong. We love certainty. Take a look at verse 24 in our chapter here. What had God promised Paul through the angel? At the point in, at a point in the storm when the sailors had done everything that they could and they'd lost hope when it looked like they were all doomed, the angel promised Paul that he would end up in Rome and in his grace God would also make sure that no one else on the ship would drown. But notice what God did not promise. God did not promise that he would calm the storm. He did not promise that the boat would be safe. The angel warned that things would get worse and the ship would run aground. They'd all need to go through the worst experience of all experiences, even the Christians on board. See, God doesn't promise us a smooth ride in life. In John uh, chapter 16, Jesus tells us to expect trouble while we're in this world. But he also said that it's through his death and resurrection that Jesus has overcome the evil in this world. There will be a time of accountability for all evil choices. And there will be a time when the evil powers will be locked out of our new heaven and a new earth. At the end of the Bible, the end of the book of Revelations, we read that there will, will be no more crying and no more death. We can look forward to that, but we should not be surprised by the rough times that we experience now. What about the second thing we want, we want most out of our tragedy? We want something positive to come out of the storms in our lives. We want to see good in our storms. Well, if we take a closer look at what kept Paul calm when everyone else was given, had given up hope, we get a hint at what God wants to see come out of our own um, tragedies, our own storms. Remember that this trip came at the end of Paul's life and his mission experience. He was not only a seasoned traveller, he'd already been through three shipwrecks. A night in the day on the open sea, Uh, numerous floggings, not to mention the constant dangers just from his, his travels. He'd come close to death numerous times. But Paul had told the Corinthians in a letter that he'd written before this trip that all these experiences taught him to depend on God. Over the years, he had come to know more deeply that God is dependable and that he cares for us. Now, the emotional toll of any of life's problems, especially the bigger ones, should never be underestimated. Paul also admitted to feeling complete despair when he and his companions experience really hard times in Asia during those previous missions. It's okay to say this storm is the pits. I can't cope. Now, you might think that those other three shipwrecks had taught Paul how to respond you know, really well in such an emergency. But the thing is, no two storms are the same. We already saw that the actions of the professional sailors, um, you know, throwing overboard some of the cargo, the tackle, and they got rid of some of that as well. They lowered the anchors um, to slow down the ship. Uh, none of that really saved the, saved the ship. It still ran aground and everyone still had to swim and get ashore somehow. See, the danger in thinking that our previous experience trains us in procedure and how to respond in emergency is that we can rely solely on our own efforts. But the positive lesson that God really wants us to learn is that total dependence on him. He wants us to trust him. Now, don't get me wrong, Paul had a faith had faith that God would save them, but his faith was a very practical faith. It was right for the sailors to do all that they could to get through the storm. And Paul himself urged everybody to eat and be strengthened for that swim ahead. Faith should be practical, but Paul knew that practical steps alone were not enough. He had to depend on God. Now, depending on God doesn't come automatically. It's not natural to us. The sailors depended on their own actions, and when they failed, they wanted to depend on the lifeboat. We don't see them depending on God at all. The centurion at first depended on the ship's captain, but later we see him following Paul's leading, taking action to put his trust in God's promise. He was learning to depend on God. But Paul already knew that he needed to put his trust in God. He had learned to turn to God from the beginning of the storm. And God wants us to come to him when the storm first hits us. It can be as simple as praying, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. See, the positive that he wants to see in all of us is that we learn to depend on him. He is dependable and nothing can separate us from his love. What about my third question? Where is God in all of this? How can I depend on him when it feels like he has abandoned ship? Now, after a really tough time in life, many people will say, well, they wouldn't wish it on anybody else, but they wouldn't change anything. But while we're in the middle of a really bad situation, all we want is for the storm to go away. And it's usually really hard to see God at work when all we can see is the next wave about to swamp us. We can be like the sailors and look for a way to bail out. Pretending to be putting down the anchor, they attempted to lower the lifeboat and escape. But Paul knew that God would only save the lives of those who remained on the ship and the sailors, but the sailors could not see God or his promise. In their despair, the only solution was to abandon the other passengers to fate and to think of themselves. The soldiers were ordered to cut the lifeboat loose so that sailors would remain on the ship. But ironically, the soldiers too could only think of themselves. When it was clear that the ship was going to run aground, they wanted to kill off all the prisoners. And if the soldiers lost any of their charges, there would be an inquiry and they most certainly would have been put to de- to the death penalty themselves. They could not see God at work and showed no signs of faith in God's promise. Now, the centurion had noticed Paul from the outset and trusted him enough to let him visit his friends in, when they put to port in Sidon. Now, maybe because Paul was a Roman citizen, But I guess he would have sent a soldier or two along just to make sure Paul didn't escape. But Paul didn't escape and the centurion noted that Paul was trustworthy. He also noticed that Paul's prediction that they would likely encounter a storm had turned out to be true. Uh, But it wasn't until morale was at its lowest and Paul had some encouragement from his God that the centurion started to take more notice of Paul's God. And this is where we see God at work. We just catch a glimpse. We see the centurion being used by God to ensure that no lives were lost. He trusts the promise Paul had received and stops the sailors from deserting and the soldiers from killing the prisoners. It was only because of his leadership, the sailors and the soldiers did not drown and God's promise that everyone would be saved came true. So when we see God at work, even in the smallest way, we're reminded that he has not abandoned us. He is with us all the way. Paul knew that. In his letter to the Roman church, he reminds us that absolutely nothing can separate us from the love of God, not even a Category 5 storm in our life. In all things, in all our good times and in our storms, God is working. He is working for our good. And at St John's in the 10am service here, we often sing a kid's song that says, God is my true north. God wants us to take our bearings from him, uh, from his promise that he's always working for our good. In a storm, it's all too easy to take our bearings from the circumstances around us. But he is our true north, not the circumstances around us. In a dream, Paul was promised that he would get to Rome and God would save everyone who was on the ship with him. And most of the time, you and I don't get such a specific promise when we're in the midst of a, middle, a difficult time. But we've already had, received a promise that Jesus will overcome all that brings difficulties in this world. You and I have a much greater promise as we look forward to the time when we'll all be enjoying that new heaven and new earth, when there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more death. We can depend on God to bring us through this life and all its storms. Well, we're all hit with difficulties, small and large. We're warned to expect them, even as Christians, If we learn to say and to pray to God, Lord, I don't understand, but I trust you. God uses our experiences of difficulties to teach us to depend on him, to bring us closer to himself. He is always working for our good. We can be sure that no difficulty in life can separate us from his love. We can be sure that one day all the difficulties will end and there will be no more suffering. Let me take a minute to just pray with you. Lord, you are a good God, and we thank you that we can depend on you at all times, even during the most difficult of times. Help us to put our trust in you, even when we don't understand. We look forward to the time when there will be no more storms and you will wipe away all tears and pain. Jesus, you have overcome all that causes pain in our lives. We just want to praise you. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your
1: podcasts from. Just search for St John's Diamond Creek.